This is an ABC 7 News special. Caught in the crossfire. An alarming number of Chicago students killed by gunfire. These guns are killing police. They're killing civilians. They're killing children. An endless arsenal recovered from city streets. We see everything from the old 22 caliber Saturday night specials up through the $900 Uzi. Saving our children, a cry for action. Until we as a society invest in our youth, we are counting down the days before the next innocent student is going to be killed. Stop the violence, a search for solutions. Now, here are ABC 7's Ron Majors and Cheryl Burton. Good evening, everybody. Chicago's children are putting themselves in the line of fire, just making the trip to school and trying to get back home safely. Violent deaths of school kids have unhinged our inner city communities, sparking outrage and a search for answers. So during the next half hour, we'll be joined by a group of city leaders and we'll listen to the voices of our communities in a search for solutions to meet the challenge of keeping our children safe. We will try to get answers to why our children are being gunned down at an alarming rate and what's being done to prevent it. There are 20 people killed from the Hinsdale school system or the Winneka school system. You know, would that be tolerated? I don't know what the I don't know what the answer to that would be. Twenty-three of the thirty-one Chicago public school children killed this school year have been victims of gunfire. When we found out that it was the kids that go to school with our kids, that was real devastating. A seventeen-year-old boy who had nothing to do with gang, with violence. He's a happy, outgoing kid, very smart. He was a well-liked student. He was a nice, sweet. I need anyone that knows something to come forward, please, please. It could be your child next, so you better stand up and do something now. It was last month's fatal shooting of 16-year-old Blair Holt, who was riding a CTA bus home from school, that galvanized a community fed up with gun violence. Blair's parents, Ronald Holt and Annette Nance Holt, have joined others in marches calling for better security and stricter gun laws. Blair, we walk it to you, Blair. We to you. Joining us now is Ronald Holt, a 17-year veteran of the Chicago Police Department whose son died a hero while shielding a classmate from gunfire. We join the rest of the community in sharing your sorrow. And, uh, you. I, you have, since that day been thrust into the front of an anti-violence movement and yes. you have declared that you would like to do something yes. to end this cycle. Yes. Are you hopeful something can be done? I think something can be done and I think it starts at the community level, at the grassroots level. The people who live in the community, their stakeholders, homeowners, business owners, civic or organizations, uh, the police department, uh, 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 churches have to all start communicating collectively. They have to create outreach programs where they can start to identify uh, families in crisis. There is strength in numbers and you have a multitude of concerned citizens who uh, kind of identify the, uh, the, the families that are in crisis. Those families nine times out of ten 
are probably crying out for help. That single parent, be it a mother or a father, or that parent, or the parents, are probably crying out for help because they, they figure they don't know uh, any what what else to do with their children. All right, so they're 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 reaching out, and it's almost like a silent outcry. So um, when I look at that, considering what happened uh, to my son when he lost lost his life, uh, four other children were injured. You also look at the impact it had on the other witnesses on the bus. And then you also look at the uh, two individuals who were arrested. They were teenagers as well. In that scenario, in most scenarios like that, everybody loses. All right. And as you know, as a veteran Chicago police officer, the murder rate is at a 40-year low and death by guns is also down here in Illinois. But 23 students have been killed by gunfire, and that is the second highest total since CPS started tracking gun deaths nine years ago. Just how easy is it to obtain a firearm? ABC 7's Paul Mikey takes a look. We got a lot of stuff. It is the beginning of a new work week at the Chicago Police Department's firearms section. All the guns recovered on the streets of the city are brought in here. Some are crime guns, many are not. Ready? Most of the guns will be test fired to learn if they've been used in any past crimes. All of them will be inventoried. Spain and Romania. From semi-automatic assault rifles to 22 short Saturday night specials, they come in all shapes and sizes. The count on this day, over six dozen recovered weapons. There are days where it's slow and, and, and we can take everything at an easy pace, and there are other days where I mean, the guns are just falling in here. They're just coming in card after card. We store everything from handguns to long guns here. This is a very rare look at the Chicago Police Department's firearms vault row after row after row of weapons recovered over the years. 72,000 of them are stored here. Those involved in major crimes are kept. Most of the guns are ultimately destined for destruction in a blast furnace. It is a remarkable collection. We have a, what's referred to as a street sweeper shotgun. In the mid-90s, police in Chicago were recovering over 20,000 guns a year. But when unlawful use of a weapon became a felony charge, the gun recovery number dropped by roughly half. It has remained pretty much the same since. So where do most of the guns involved in crimes in Chicago come from? The answer is nearly 50% of them come from within Illinois. In the late 90s, a law enforcement sting at suburban Chicago gun shops revealed the ease of so-called straw purchases, where someone with a clean background buys with the intent of turning the weapon over to someone who wouldn't qualify to buy it. While that still happens, Police say the gun shops are more attuned to it. What you're finding then is that there are fewer straw purchases going on in Illinois. Yes, yes. There's, there's, definitely, uh, there's definitely been a decrease in the last, like, seven years. What has increased are the number of crime guns coming into Chicago from Indiana and Mississippi, where there are no FOID cards or waiting periods. In Indiana and Mississippi, if you pass the criminal background check, it's almost instantaneous. You could, you could purchase it and walk away a short time after with that weapon. These weapons were all purchased at Mississippi gun shops and made their way to Chicago. One was used in a fatal gang shooting. 19 people are now facing federal conspiracy charges. How easy is it to get a gun? 
These are Julian High School students in pain over the loss of two classmates this year to gun violence. The realities they face are known to Stephen Wade, a former gang member who is now part of Operation Ceasefire. Despite tougher laws, he says, the guns are there. The guns will always be accessible, but we have to get people to change their mentality and their minds. Every month, an average 1,500 guns recovered in Chicago are destroyed. But in the firearms section tomorrow, more will be coming in. At this time, we want to introduce the rest of the panel. Dr. Joyce Brown is the Chicago Public Schools Manager of High School Counselors since 2004. Alicia Amador is the coordinator of Youth Services, Mujeres Latinas in Acción, and is a lifelong resident of the Pilsen and Little Village communities. Father Michael Flager is from the faith community of St. Sabina, has lived and ministered in the African-American communities on the west and south side since 1968. Rufus Williams is the president of the Chicago Board of Education, a Chicago native from the west side and a product of Chicago Public Schools. And we've already met Chicago policeman Ronald Holt. Uh, Reverend Flager, let me start with you. You lost a foster son to the crossfire of gang violence in 1998. You have been very outspoken about stricter gun laws. I think you'd like to see guns somehow off the streets of Chicago. You have learned that is not a universally popular position. Right, and, and I just don't understand the, we don't have to, we have to deal with the availability of guns. I mean, whether we look at Columbine, whether we're looking at the Amish girls, whether we're looking at Virginia Tech, or we're looking at the streets of Chicago, we talk about the shooters, and some of us have mental problems, some are loners, some are angry, some are confused, but there's one common thread. The common thread is they all have easy access to guns. Anybody can get a hold of a gun anywhere in Chicago or in any urban city around this country. And we have to change those laws. I mean, why should you be able to buy 100, 100 guns a month? For what? Um, we have to change the laws and legislation, and we have to go after the legislators who are being uh, pressured by the NRA and other organizations to, to keep them from changing these laws and make them accessible. They say that the gun owners are buying less guns for hunting and the rest, yet their real target now is the criminal on the street where they're selling guns too and selling them out of trunks, selling them out of stores. We've got to change the legislation. Maybe we need to change the Second Amendment. Maybe we've got to we'll go back and look at that and say, is this what really the fathers meant when they had the Second Amendment? But I also think we have to, as, as Ron was saying earlier, deal with homes and, and, and communities. These guns aren't just laying on the streets. They're in houses, they're in basements, they're in attics, they're in closets. We need to do sweeps of our houses and make sure we're not holding them and protecting them in our houses and, and make sure that they're not existing there. But we've got to, if we're not going to deal with the easy access, we're going to continue to see violence. I don't care how many policemen, I don't care how many counselors, I don't care how many schools we have. Guns have to come off the streets. I talk with a lot of students and parents in working with this and researching for this program, and many of the students said that they feel that this country and this city values the right to bear arms more than they value the lives of children. Yeah. And I know you as a police officer are fighting this battle on the streets every day, but legislation could be the next yeah. thing that can be done. Yeah, well, I was in touch with uh, Congressman Bobby Rush and he has reassured me that next week he will introduce to Congress in Washington, D.C., uh, the Blair Bill. And the nucleus of that bill is to create a national registry of all handguns uh, that are purchased 
across the country, and he wants that to be used as a standard, meaning that every handgun uh, across the country, in every uh, uh, county, in every uh, um, rural area, every urban area, has to be registered because, as you know, you can't register uh, a handgun in Chicago. So uh, Congressman Rush wants to introduce that bill, the uh, Blair bill, and he has our blessing, and we hope that it works and we support him on that effort. And I hope the community okay. supports him on that effort as well. And Father Flager, by speaking out, by raising the idea that you want to get rid of guns, you've run into opposition with the NRA. Oh, tremendous. I mean, I've gotten thousands of, of emails in just the last week because of the protests at Chuck's Gun Shop. And, and you know, we're looking for common sense law. Why would AK-47s be allowed here in the United States, but we don't allow them in Iraq? I mean, it doesn't make any sense that we have, there is no, there's no kind of limit. Or no, how can my car, if I give my car to you, that's what I have to taste the title and I have to do the transfer of the title. But we do that with cars, but not with guns. There's no accountability, there's no responsibility. And then there's this major lobbyist that, that says, we're going to put money and we're going to threaten. And not only tell politicians we're going to pay you to this, but we're going to come after you if you vote for legislation. And they do it very, with a vengeance. Well, so Mayor Daley has long been an outspoken person about the need for tougher federal laws to keep guns from legally crossing state lines, buddy. Also says you have to have a responsibility to keep guns out of the hands of criminals and even your own kids. We have to have family members saying, if I have a gun in my home, please, please turn it in. Call your minister, call your police commander, call caps, call somebody and say, I want to get rid of this gun because, you know, my teenage son or daughter someday gets so mad it could come home and use it. That's what you have to do. We have to get the conscience of every adult saying it's wrong to have a gun. Mayor Daly added that for every child who dies, for every shooter who's jailed, another generation is lost. And he hopes churches and other institutions will play a role in getting adults and children motivated to end violence. So what leads young men to use firearms to settle disputes? The 16-year-old suspect accused of shooting Blair Holt fired into a crowded CTA bus. Did he fall through the cracks of the educational system? ABC 7's Charles Thomas is the only reporter to sit down with the suspect's mom for an exclusive interview. My heart went out to the whole family. My heart go out to the other kids that he wounded or, you know, all of them, because them wounds are never leave them kids. Yvette Harris said she'd known for some time that her 16-year-old learning disabled son, Michael Pace, was having problems with other boys at Julian High School. When we went to the school and we seen the principal, they said he was fighting. But they always picked on him and picked on him. And they never did anything about that. Harris counted no passing grades, but as many as 20 suspensions during Michael's 18 months at Julian before he dropped out in March. On May 10th, police allege Pace opened fire on a bus filled with Julian students trying to kill a teenager with whom he had feuded. He never been in no trouble with the law. He, he don't even have a record. That wasn't my child at that time. That was my not my child. He can misled. I promise you he did. Fatally wounded Blair Holt, who was not the intended target, and his accused killer Michael Pace were 16-year-old boys in the same neighborhood who lived in very different worlds. Holt, the honor student, had great promise. Pace's dropout world, on the other hand, was deeply troubled, but nonetheless, a much larger place. 
University of Chicago researchers report that 61 percent, or nearly two-thirds of African-American males who begin ninth grade in city public schools, eventually drop out. Man, I like to tell you, they want to get that money, man. They, they figure money is more important than their education. What did you do after you left in 10th grade? Days was like drinking, messing with a couple of females, and that's about it. That's all it added up to, man. UC professor Waldo Johnson suspects the black male dropout rate is even higher than 61%. What about those who didn't get to ninth grade? Because we know that there are those who, are, who may be dropping out even earlier. Harris told me Michael's problems began years ago at the Mount Vernon Elementary School, where his learning disability became apparent. He did the third grade three times. They didn't help him. They didn't send him to no doctor, Charles. It's a story Diane Powell has heard too many times. She says her agency, Metropolitan Family Services, and others in the city can help kids like Michael. But Powell says there are not enough social workers in the public schools to contact and refer at-risk young people. We need to have enough services for these kids to do more prevention work before the kids get in trouble. Yvette Harris, who has three other children, says she'll no longer depend on Chicago public school counselors, and she pleaded with parents everywhere to pay closer attention to their children. Please talk to them and help them after calling out for you. Please, just help them. Please, because you don't need to go through the situation I went through. Please, because I am hurting. And I'm not just hurting for me and my kids or me and my son. I'm hurting for all the victims. Ronald Hope, the suspect's mother and family and the witnesses on the bus, they are all victims. So we want to talk about what happened here. She said that the educational system failed her son. She, he fell through the cracks. Mr. Williams, what do you have to say? Well, I think um, laying the blame at the educational system is probably misplaced. Uh, there are certainly things that can happen in a school and things that need to happen beyond the school. I will tell you that we are, we wrestle with funding. We do a lot, we do as much as we can with the dollars that we have. Mm -hmm. When I speak to principals, and I spoke to 12 of them on the west side and asked them, what is the one thing that you need that will really help improve student achievement? And they said the answer was a social worker. We have children who are dealing with things that adults can't deal with. So that part is certainly an issue that resonates through what we try to do. But given the five and a half hours that we have of a child in school mm -hmm. and trying to keep them on task, it's very difficult for us to do more in that environment. I think what really it calls for is one, increased funding, increased opportunities, increased community involvement. And certainly as we look at these things, the issue of parenting cannot be sidestepped. One of the students told me that, you know, look at Blair Holt's parents were perfect, but he's dead. Yes. So we need to hear from Mr. Holt to see after he has heard from the suspect's mother. What does he think about that? Well, I think that um, it's, it, go, it, goes, it cuts across the board. It, everybody has to, when you, you can't blame the public school system per se. The school system is not in a person's home when that child is born and being reared. A lot of parents, if they see that their child is lost, they're gonna, they're gonna cry out for help. 
they're really going to crowd for help and they're going to look for some other outside uh, entity to uh, help them help them raise their child because they know in their hearts that they can't do it and they, they don't have all the answers they really don't so it goes across the board as far as the community and everything and we, we just have to uh, do what I say create a safe passage for these children to and from school, from the home to school, uh, from school to the home. It takes a whole community uh, to, uh, to get this job done. It, it takes a village to raise one child. Dr. Oh. Brown, you, uh, you supervise counselors in the Chicago public school system. I presume you could always use more counselors, but I'm more interested in, in what kind of feedback you get from counselors. We've talked a lot about parenting and unfortunately, in many cases, the lack of parenting. Mm -hmm. Are guidance counselors reporting that they don't get parental co cooperation or they get it at a reduced level from what would be expected? Well, I don't think that there has ever been enough parental cooperation uh, coming into the schools, not blaming parents for that, but parents in inner city schools are struggling day to day to just make a living for their family. And so they don't have the opportunity to come within the frameworks of the school day or even in the evening and really meet and make plans and help to, to help their kid. Um, I want to say that riveting events are happening in the lives of the students who attend Chicago public school systems. That's the call for urgency. So the, 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 the uh, solution is what do we do about it? Do we act upon it? Do we keep talking or do we respond to what is needed? The fact of the matter is that school counselors have a caseload of 360 to 1. Wow. And when you look at suburban districts, that caseload is much smaller and the needs are not as intense. We know families are broken. And what counselors are saying to me is that from the moment they get out of their car in the morning, somebody is saying, help me. Parents are saying it, teachers are saying it, but the system is not established enough, well enough, to provide all of the services that we need. So I hope this is a cry to garner support, to put structures in the school to take care of both the heart and the head. That's the missing piece, because as you saw in the snapshot, kids want to talk to you. Right. Talking research shows right. is very important during the adolescent stage of development as they're beginning to search for identity. When a student is killed, you know it can completely overwhelm the victim's school and the entire community. Of the 31 Chicago public students killed this school year, 24 are from schools on the city's south side. Three of the students are from Julian High School, located near the intersection of 103rd and Elizabeth, that is on the city's far south side. Well, recently, we gathered students from across the city to talk to us at Julian. Here is what they had to say in their own words. What's going through your mind as you're getting prepared to go to school every day? When I'm on my way to school, I just know there's danger everywhere. And I don't worry about anything because if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. I come to school for what? To focus, get my grades, and um, I want to do this in life, and that's what I'm focused on. I have to keep going toward my goals, so I'm not going to let what some one person thinks about me let me down and let me not achieve my goals. Has anyone in this group been a victim of gun violence or physical violence? What was going through your mind when you saw it? It was just like shock and panic because like you know that person who is being stumped into the cement, you know? You know who that is, and it's just like you can't move because all this shock and panic and all the noise around you, the ambulance, police, people screaming, and it's just like surreal, very surreal. 
Someone in that group could have had a gun and, you know, bullets don't have a name. Life itself is confusing because, I mean, when you walk down the street, you see somebody get jumped or something and you want to say something, but there's so many consequences if you do say something because there's always someone who's around who snitch on you for telling someone else. And so that's why when you're in the school and you witness a fight or you witness someone bringing a gun in the school, you don't want to say nothing because there's always someone who's watching. And if you happen to go to the principal, they'll see you, tell somebody else, and now you're a victim of something that's coming up next. I would tell because it's something that is wrong, morally. And I mean, violence shouldn't be an answer for a lot of things. People just do stuff to do it these days. You know, I mean, like, violence is something that goes on and is consistent throughout, you know, society, but it needs to stop. I think a lot of students are pressured into becoming a gangbanger or selling drugs or want to kill someone because they want to be popular. Our society is based on violence because violence sells to people. What would you do that you don't think is being done that could help the situation? There needs to be more males standing up and bonding with these other males so they can feel like, you know what, I have somebody I could talk to. I could be a man. I don't have to go pick up a knife. I don't have to go pick up a gun. That's not the first thing I got to do. And a lot of that has to do with pride. The main focus which CPS should be focusing on is the communication gap, which is lacking with between parents and students, between parents and administrators, and the teachers and the security guards. It all starts at home. If you had a good parent, you know, nurturing, supporting you, and caring about what goes on in school and wanting to listen, then maybe all this violence occurring wouldn't happen. If we can get teen leaders who can congregate, come together and say, you know what, we need to be the voice. We're the generation of tomorrow. Until we, as a society, invest in our youth, we are counting down the days before the next innocent student is going to be killed. Solutions from the teenagers. They said that no one ever talks to them. They are the problem, and they are the solution. And Dr. Brown talked about the additional help needed. The schools can't do everything, but that's where the community comes from. And Ms. Amador, you're heavily involved in the community, in the Pilsen community, for the many decades. How do you think this can be done with the community's involvement? I have a lot of hope uh, with our kids. Um, we've been working very closely, and I think in Pilsen Little Village, we found a way to bridge the gap between schools and social service agencies. We monitor the children's report card for the mom. Moms are working, they're, they're doing the best that they can. We mm -hmm. can't blame them. Um, there are some moms that need help, and you're right, they, mm -hmm. they are crying mm -hmm. for assistance. There are more youth serving agencies than ever before. Why can't we do anything? We need parents to rely on agencies like ours, like yours, and everyone else here on the panel. And How I do we get them to these agents? How do we get parents to these places where they can get help? Well, you just gave a wonderful idea, and I think that's one that we should certainly pick up on, and to the extent that we can find within each community, within each school, what the, what the available agencies are in that environment, mm -hmm. and make those available to our families and to our children, then we need to do that. We need to have the agencies step up, let us know that they exist, and let us know what kinds of things that they can do for our communities. When they come to you, what is it that they're looking for? Self-esteem, family? They are looking for encouragement and hope. Mm -hmm. I see you, I see what you're interested in, I know what you can become, and I am the person that's going to help you. Well, if it's not happening in the schools, people turn to the church. However, one student told me it takes a village, but the village is now corrupt. And I think that's we have to look, and now it takes a whole village to raise a child, but we have to redirect the village and recreate the village. Mm -hmm. We're isolated, we're alienated from one another. But I think 
the village, as, as Mr. Holt said earlier, we all have to come together. The schools, the churches, synagogue, mosques, the organizations, the block, the homes, talk to our children. We have to draw the line to say violence is not acceptable. We have to wrap our children in a vision again. And part of this talking that children do is talk about their futures. What do they want to be? What are their dreams again? Not just, not just going back and forth to school to survive. But what do you want to be? What's in your heart? What's your dreams about your future? When's the last time we talked to our children about their dreams? At home, in the schools, in the churches. We have, to, we have to have that kind of conversation. Yes, we have to get rid of guns. Yes, we have to create an atmosphere where violence is not acceptable. But we have to talk with our children, listen to them, respect them, so they respect themselves, therefore respect others. But I think the whole community has to feel responsible. The whole community, the schools, the churches, uh, the parents, everybody. We've learned to save the whales and save the elephants. Why in God's name can't we save our children? Thank you all very much. Mostly I want to thank you because you're all in the fight and you haven't given up, and we appreciate you taking your time to talk about it with us this evening. And though this concludes the broadcast portion of our program, I want to invite you to log on to our website, abc7chicago.com, where you can hear some more of this discussion. And as we leave you tonight, we want to remember the 31 CPS students whose lives came to an end much too early. Good night, everybody. So let me tell you about one of the students. She told me, um, Brittany Barnes in the piece, she said that she goes to Inglewood, and she said that um, her teacher told her, you go to Inglewood, there's no good in the hood in Inglewood. And I was stunned. And this teacher told this to a group of students, not just her. And this girl is very defiant. She's going to be very successful. I'm not worried about her at all. But the fact that a teacher who's getting paid by my dollars, right has the gall to tell this young, impressionable person mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that, and she said it fueled her to do better. And I probably think she's going to get straight A's this semester because of Good that. Yeah. And there are probably a hundred stories like that. Yep. And mm -hmm. I've talked to uh, education uh, deans about this very thing. And what I'm looking for is where do they teach outside the content area? What do they teach people who are coming to our schools how to care? And when I look at the curriculum offerings, it's just nowhere to be found. Mm -hmm. I'm an old school teacher, mm -hmm. and I know how to care about kids. That's why I went into the profession. Mm -hmm. But so many people are coming to the profession without that piece. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they need to be re-examined, retrained, rekindled. Re it's very important because mm -hmm. we're in a certification, standards-based education. Right. No standards-based education without personalization is my, my, my mantra. I agree. And uh, school <laughs> counselors, uh, we're training them to lead that work because they have been trained to address 
personal social issues and to help their colleagues understand the importance of that mm -hmm. side by side in collaboration with them and then going and partnering with everybody who can help us because it's going to take everybody to yeah. help. Oh, it, everybody. It's interesting you say that though because <laughs> one definitely. of the things I thought, you know, we yes. keep talking about the police have to come back in and we have sensitivity training, all this kind of diversity right. training, all this stuff. Right. And I wondered, do teachers ever, because I, I, we did this in our own school this year, because I said, have we ever done this before? To bring the teachers in and, and, and kind of bring them together and say, how do we teach to listen to, hear, and, and care, and teach our kids to care more about each other? Because mm -hmm. in all the training to be a teacher, that's not in it. That's right. not in it. But Academics. in this day, it it's has academic. to be. Mm -hmm. it we, has did, uh, we did roll call when we opened up our domestic violence uh, program to the police stations at um, 7 o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. when they had their first roll call. And I was thinking that we probably need to do that in the school. Right. To sit there and talk to them and tell them, well, with the police, it's like how to really make the arrest, not just all oh, separate, quiet down, and then go away. There had to be an arrest made. Yeah. Uh, at schools, we probably need to do something like that. Talk to, uh, yeah. We had a counselor uh, tell one of our girls, um, uh, don't go to career day. I don't know why you're going to go. You're going to land a pregnant or wow. in a gang. Wow. Yeah, these are people who should um, not be around. Right. 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 They shouldn't they be there. Yeah, there's a but point they're collecting can, paychecks. I know. There's a point mm -hmm. in which you can, change, you can train them. There's a point in which they simply should not should be go. there. And if you don't like the children, you can't teach them. It's not no, possible. It's not. We are limited. That. You know, we have um, we have a teachers union, which really makes it very difficult for us to make some adjustments. Mm. But again, I go back to the very central thing that we try to use, which is what is in the best interest of the children. Right. And if you are one who believes that, mm -hmm. then you should not be dealing with them. Right. I think we've lost that focus right. in, uh, in that the the schools again were made to educate children and I think the administrators, the powers that be, they look at it in dollars and cents mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of the teachers I think uh, there are some who are still personable. Mm -hmm. I spoke with some mm -hmm. yesterday um, at mm -hmm. Julian and I gave them high, high marks and high praise because I knew these were teachers who actually went above and beyond to stay with kids after school help them out. I've even heard the principal mention uh, certain teachers who are passionate and who care mm -hmm. about the children. And I said, we have to get back to that. We, you, you, you can't go into a system now where you just want to draw a paycheck. If you don't want to uh, uh, get personal, well, uh, create a, a, a person, personal level with the kids, uh, you shouldn't be there. You just really shouldn't be there. You should maybe I'm gonna go somewhere else and, 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 and teach if you can't grab a hold of the kids and talk to them and say, hey, look, you know, I care about what's going on with you. How are things at home? Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me talk to you. Because in the police department, we have to do that. If a child, if there's a domestic incident and you see a child sitting off in the corner when you answer a call, you go up to them mm -hmm. and you want to make sure they weren't abused. Mm -hmm. right. And you start asking them questions. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, how are you? How are things going? You know, mommy and daddy fighting tonight? Mm -hmm. Yeah, are you okay? Yeah. Did anybody hurt you? No, and then you can kind of look at them and look behind their eyes and see right. there's something else right. going, going on, on here. Right. Like in the case of the of the girl, what's her name? The one that was just recently killed. Okay. She dropped out of she Julian. She went to Julian. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. In my experience, there was something else mm -hmm. going on in that home, 
And you can't tell me it was because the girl was a high school, dropped out of high school and she was incorrigible and she wanted to stay out late. Mm -hmm. There was something mm -hmm. else. You know, I talked to there. a lady who's a counselor at one of the private schools in the city. I won't say the name, okay. but it's one of the three mm -hmm. top private schools. And she told me in this school of about 12,000 students, they have four counselors. And these counselors are responsible. And these, I mean, this is an affluent school. So 12,000, 1,200, I'm sorry, 1,200 students. Okay. And this is, a, this is an affluent school. So they're not dealing with the kinds of issues that right. our children are right. dealing mm -hmm. with. They've got they four, four counselors. Right. And they deal, I said, so what do you do? What do you yeah. do? <laughs> so, you know, she deals with the students if they have issues, and she right. deals with the teachers who have issues. Mm -hmm. She deals Ants. with the parents who have issues. The resources. We are sitting here, and we have one for over 300 mm -hmm. students. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We have but to But see, show the parents are coming to those private schools. So they are required. Group. You will not continue to be a student at these private schools if your parents are not coming up and participating right. in after-school events, potluck dinners on the weekends. There has to be, it is a requirement. Wow. So for these, for some of these private schools, for the parents to be involved, uh, they want to see that you care about your kids. If you're going to send them here, we want to see that you care. Yeah. Now, I think we've got to put parenting classes back, though, in schools. There has, for everybody coming into schools, I mean, for the good parent, it can support them. For the parent that's struggling, I think it's going to allow them. Because the parents need to talk, too. They do. They, they, they want to just know that children. they're not alone. A lot alone. of parents are young you know? parents who, yeah. who don't have somebody who helped school them to be a parent. And they need to be able to talk with other parents. We did a parenting class this year at our, at our, at our place, and... It was a bunch of young, I looked at them, I said, God, they were students. <laughs> and they were mm -hmm. young parents, they and they, they valued yeah. it. The, the program ended, and they wanted to keep on meeting they to mm -hmm. talk and help learning mm -hmm. parenting skills mm -hmm. from each other. So right. I think, I think it, we got to look at how we put that in our schools for the parents to be That's trained. That's a good point. I think every parent is going to say they want to have the best for their children. Mm -hmm. right. The question is, how do we, what is it and how do I get it? Right. right. And we have to teach them and I that. I think coming into the high school door is when we can really do it. Because ninth grade is probably the last best year we can really affect change. Mm -hmm. And it's a new environment. We've been talking to parents across the city. They just want information. When we, we as school counselors said, we were going to go out into the communities and talk to the parents between five and seven about coming into high school. People said nobody's going to show up, it was packed. Ooh. They wanted to, to ask yeah. you basic questions yeah. about mm -hmm. high yeah. school. And so I, I told Greg Darnier, I said, how could we capture this on a larger scale? You know, take it to the streets. We're here to hear you and then we can connect you to the resources that you need to help your kid. I have not met one parent that did not want their kid to be successful. Yeah. I, I, but they is, need help. They need help. Is, uh, I, is immigration an issue in the Latino community? They don't, parents aren't going to come to the school. This raid they're, that happened. They're undocumented workers. They uh, don't want to be raid, seen anywhere. This raid that happened in Little Village has hmm. put fear in our families. Really? Families wow. that were willing to come out, were willing to do things, close the door, lock it, shut the shades, I'm not going out anymore. Wow. Well, we just scheduled a big meeting, you know, you promised to come, I am not going anywhere where there's a group of people and somebody's gonna come and slam the door open wow. and it's, wow. it's just caused so much fear and chaos. We have to almost start again one by one. Wow. We do provide uh, parent support groups uh, where we're teaching uh, parents discipline without violence. Um, and, and hearing them, well, it's the only way I know. It's, it's how my mother did it, it's how my grandmother did it. Um, but they're making that change. When we opened up that program, we had maybe four moms, uh, then we had five. Uh, we have dads 
in that program now. Hmm. Uh, but now they're all in the meetings are telling us, you know, the, the immigration is put the fear in all of us, in the children, oh. and uh, it, it, it's just. And I, I'm guessing you have a lot of cases where kids were born in the U.S., parents are undocumented workers. Mm -hmm. Kids are part of the system, mm -hmm. parents have yes. to be invisible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. It is, it's, you have some parents that are trying to make ends meet. If some of them need to apply, and believe me, they really don't want to all apply for public aid and have kids just to get on welfare. They really take a lot of pride in wanting to come, wanting to earn a living and support their families. Um, if they apply for public assistance to get a medical card for a little while till they get on their feet, um, it's very difficult because you have half of the children that are born and raised here and the other half that are not. Uh, so it it's creates a big struggle for families. Um, parents that need to work two, sometimes three jobs, again, you're leaving children home alone yeah. with the 12-year-old to babysit mm -hmm. right. the nine, right. six, seven, and three-year-old. Mm -hmm. So that becomes a problem because DCFS will be knocking on your door before long. Uh, it, it, and again, we have places. Again, there's so many youth serving agencies. I would, I, I'm old school when I talk about having those agencies. I would rather work with 10 and give them quality care, individual names that I say, come on in, how you doing? Just touch them. Right. Now you can't hug a kid because yeah. you're yeah. Right. So if, But even if you just right. do right. that, yeah. you see their faces light up. Right. Mm -hmm. I go into places, there's 50, 100 kids, chaos. Nobody's watching. There's no group. There's mm -hmm. no. It, just that they gotta do the numbers. Huh. Mm. Right. So I would just rather have the room full of kids right. that I know their name. They're getting fed. They're reading. They're cooperating. We're doing um, team building. We're doing icebreakers where they have to come together and talk and look at each other. Nobody's looking at each other but anymore. But the system and the funding is set up for the hundred exactly. and not for exactly. the, it's not about quality, exactly. it's about putting numbers and having paper. And that's what they care about now. Mm. We'll give you a computer lab. Right. Well, I don't want a computer lab. Uh -huh. you know? We can use right. it, but talk. I want these kids to talk. Yeah. I want them to interact. I want them to look at eye exactly. contact because that's, that's where everything is lost. I can sit and talk on the phone all day to people. I, I'll come to you. I'll come to your meeting. I, I'm probably at every meeting possible. My paperwork, sure, it's going to be up there, but I'd rather do that individual contact, talking with teachers, talking to other counselors. I, I go and steal from other serving agencies that are doing great. Let me see what they're doing. <laughs> I, I'm going to grab some tips, but I'd rather do that to make my program better than to just, you know, see a computer, oh, I'm going to email Check. you, mm -hmm. uh, you know. Check. So right. where do we go from here well, then? Well, Ron began with the question of, are we hopeful, are you hopeful that this can be stopped? The answer is, it must be. Mm -hmm. It yes. has to be, because we cannot, this is, this is not normal. We no. cannot accept a situation uh -uh. where we're losing children uh -uh. in the ways in which we are losing children. It has to stop. Like Arnie said, if it was in Hinsdale or if right. it was in another affluent community, what would people call it? What would right. it be? Right. It would be a crisis. We've got to find ways we've got to do it. I mean, the suggestion, children have to be able, children shouldn't feel fearful in getting to school, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they shouldn't feel fearful in getting home. Or being one, at home. Or being at home. And one of the things that's clear is we need to hit the streets. We need to hit the streets between 3 and 5 o'clock and make sure that our children are getting to where they should be safely. When they're there, then we need to make sure that they're safe when they're there. We have to go back to basic blocking and tackling. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. and make sure that things are happening like they should happen so that our children feel safe. I made mention of that um, at a forum that uh, No Dope Express uh, was having at the Paul Simon Job Corps Center a couple of weeks ago. And people were asking, well, what, what can we do? What can we do now? What can we do tomorrow uh, when we leave here? What, what can we do throughout the weekday? Exactly what you just said, I suggested to them, I says, you need a contingency of parents, guardians, grandparents who are not doing anything during the daytime, during the school hours when the children uh, have to take the bus to school and uh, when they have to come home, that's pretty much between the hours of, let's say, 7 and 8.30, 8.45. Uh, then when they're getting home, that's between roughly the hours of 2 o'clock and what, 3.30, 4 o'clock. I says, you need a contingency yeah, okay. of parents that are going to meet their children uh, there when they get off the bus. And of course, when they, uh, they, they get on the bus, uh, when they're going to school. And they said, they, they looked at me kind of sideways thinking that it might be difficult. I said, it's not difficult. Mm -hmm. These parents uh, just have to be motivated. What about older sisters who are at home, older brothers who are at, at home, uncles who are living in this household? A responsible adult has to take the lead in, in situations like that. That's the part about a, a village raising a child because mm -hmm. like you said, these kids, they said they're scared going to and from school wondering if they're gonna make it because they know mm -hmm. they know the neighborhood is bad they live in the neighborhood mm -hmm. and this is block yeah. by block i mean like yeah. block, you <laughs> right. step out and say i'm going to be responsible yeah. for my block mm -hmm. yeah. i'm going to mobilize my these parents yes, exactly. and we're going to make sure that nothing happens on this block exactly right. and you take every block and that right. happens suddenly we're safe yeah right. suddenly it's working like it should work the safe and everybody that's something that everyone can do yeah take control of your block well thanks again yeah. we are out of time <laughs> for sure now. i appreciate uh, all of your efforts and, Thank you and, and again your time i think this was important it was much we could be here all night because yeah. we're talking about our children, and we should never have to stop. Actually, about I will that. be here. Yeah, just a couple. Yeah. <laughs> so thank, thank you, you all again. Thank you very yeah, much. Excellent thank conversation you. and insight.